Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for tuning in to the Paranormal Hour here on Dakota Network. If you have a question for the guest or myself, the number is 1-718-766-4119. So please sit back and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us, for joining us on uh, Paranormal Hour here on Dakota Network. And on today's show, I have uh, Cole. He's from uh, Dark Skull Paranormal out of Ohio. Uh, how are you doing today, Cole? I'm doing good. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Um, so I'm just going to ask you a couple quick questions. Uh, how long have you been uh, doing these paranormal investigations? Um, I started seriously investigating at the end of around 2012, beginning of 2013. I've been involved in the paranormal pretty much my whole life, but we didn't seriously start getting into a team or investigating too much until right around that time. So uh, what, what determines uh, what you if you're going to go investigate a place? What What factors do you look at before you decide where you're going to go? and what you're going to uh, investigate? Um, it really depends. If we do a if we do a big place, like a big-name place, such as Mansfield Reformatory or Saddamsville Rectory, stuff like that, then we, we look around to see what's, you know, what's the most active places, what are some really good places we could go and try to try to get some good EVPs and stuff like that. Now, when it comes to private residences, when people call us, we have a pre-investigation interview we perform, which contains about 50 questions, and that really just helps us narrow down the type of people we're dealing with and if, you know, the what they're experiencing is legitimate or if it can be explained in any certain way. Okay. Now, after you decide, you, you decide that you're going to go investigate this place, how do you approach the investigation? And, uh, like, how do you set up and what, what do you... How do you, what equipment do you take, and how do you, how do you determine uh, how to approach it? Well, if we do a private residence, what we normally do is we'll go in and we'll do the pre-interview. We'll go we'll set the pre-interview up first. We'll go in, we'll videotape the residence. We'll come back, meet as a team. We don't want the we don't want the people that are living at the place to tell us too much information because I feel that. If you're told exactly what's going on, then you you have a closed, you know, you get that tunnel vision sort of that you go in and this is what you're looking for. So you may hear something that's explainable when people tend to, their minds tend to make them think that it's paranormal. So we like to go in and get our own evidence and then 
after we've done our investigation and we collect our evidence, then we go back and we can we ask the the owners what all everything they're experiencing, and then they'll they'll tell us what they're experiencing, and then we'll compare that with the notes and the evidence that we've collected, so that it's as genuine as it possibly can be. Um, when we go to big name places, we'll research the history of the place and look at the, if it's been on. TV such as Ghost Adventures or Ghost Hunters, we may watch that episode and just see the different stuff that they've caught, and we'll go and see what we can get ourselves, and then compare with what everybody else has captured there as well. Um, as far as equipment goes, we use everything from uh, mail meters to temperature guns to SB7 spirit boxes, um, voice recorders. We use uh, high definition night vision cameras, we use still digital cameras as well. We're trying to get collect enough money to invest into a FLIR camera, into the thermal imaging camera, which is really good for um, cemeteries especially. Um, outside investigations a lot. I mean, they, they do good inside too, but especially for cemeteries, I like to use them for those, so we're trying to get the funding together so that we can invest in one of them as well. Now, do you ever um, think that there are certain things that will uh, trigger, uh, like, paranormal activity in a person's home? Um, it depends on the type of haunting that we're we're looking at. Um, when we, like I say, when we went to Mansfield, um, I'm a correctional officer. Most of my team members are correctional officers as well. So when we went to Mansfield, I wore a my my jacket that I have from work that has my patches and stuff on it from the prison that I work at and use that as a trigger object for if there are inmates there that can intelligently communicate with us. Um, we use different trigger objects just depending on what type of haunting we're dealing with, such as, say, we, when we went to uh, Prospect Place Mansion, we took I took a doll for this little girl that was haunting the building that was reportedly haunting the building, and uh, so that we could try to get her to communicate with us and come out and try to do a couple things with us, and it actually worked quite well. Um, we were in my wife was in one room, and the main temperature in the room was 71 degrees, and she had held her hand out and said, "Well, if you come over here, you know, and hold my hand, we can play a game." And her hand was at 33 degrees, and the room temperature was at 71. So there was a substantial okay. temperature drop there. Okay. Do you ever, um, when you do an investigation of a home, do you guys, after the investigation, do research on the house or anything like that and the things that may have happened on the property? Yeah, we, we do. We, uh, like this last private residence that we investigated, we ended up finding out that the house had actually, um, before had been, built on a cemetery and they had tore the house down and relocated it to the place that it is now so that could have that could have explained some of the paranormal activity that's been going on there we do as much research as we can afterwards to try to help explain you know what we found and what could be causing the uh, issue with the people that are living there and how we may be able to go about solving the uh, problem for the for our clients Okay, um, I got another question. Do you ever think, do you ever get out to an investigation 
if this was more than you had bargained for, like a lot of stuff is going on that you couldn't uh, could can't explain. And, like, um, have you ever been scared when you got to one? Um, I can't say that I've ever been actually really scared because we know, you know, we know what we're we've got ourselves into. But we have been to places that, you know, we went to a cemetery that's called Beard Cemetery here in Ohio that has a reported been reported that there's a uh, demonic dog that haunts the cemetery and we were up there and uh, we did an investigation in the daylight prior to this one and we got a bunch of evps and stuff but nothing real substantial and then uh, we went back at like midnight and we were all standing there nothing was really going on and so we were kind of standing there laughing and just taking a break and uh you could hear a dog barking in the background now this place is out and literally in the middle of nowhere you almost have to have four-wheel drive to get to the cemetery and the dog barking sounded like it was like in an aluminum cage the way it was echoing it was just really weird it sounded really weird and it sounded like it was coming at us at a high rate of speed and we all kind of got freaked out a little bit because you know it was first off we're out in the middle of nowhere and if there is a dog out there then that usually means people and if you know if it isn't explainable an actual dog there should there's going to be people with it so we were like well you know Maybe we should move on from here because <laughs> we we know nobody around here and we need to get out of here. But we kind of got scared about that. Yeah. Um, so why don't you tell us about one of your uh, one of your favorite investigations? Uh, my favorite investigation was probably I'm going to say we did we just did a um, investigation in Sedamsville Rectory in Cincinnati. And that was a really good investigation. We didn't get um, very many vocal EVPs, but we did get a lot of unexplainable bangs that we never, we didn't hear with our own ears, but we definitely captured them on our voice recorders. We were all, um, right before we left, we were sitting upstairs in the attic, and we were all just sitting there talking and getting ready to leave. And, you know, we never heard anything. We went back and we played the recorder, and we was listening to it on the way home. And uh, you can clearly hear three bangs were extremely loud on the recorder. And obviously none of us acknowledged it, you know, as we were all sitting around. If somebody makes a noise or somebody moves or something like that, we always mark it and we say, you know, this is cold moving or whatever, so that it, we, we don't get confused when we go back and we listen to the EVPs. But these were extremely loud bangs that nobody, we never did hear. And uh, I got the best video evidence I've ever captured at Sedamsville, also up in the attic, um, I was over near a window, and we're, we're three stories above the street. There's no windows um, where the other two investigators were sitting, and I was videotaping them, and one of the investigators, she said that something was touching her neck or something was breathing on her neck. I couldn't really hear her on my audio, on my video camera, but she, she retched back, and she... T- she touches her neck, and on the video, you can see a ball of light. It blinks like six times, and then it comes over to the back of her neck, and as soon as she rubs her neck, it shoots off in the opposite direction. And there's no lights up there. There's no nothing. It was it was pretty amazing. The video was pretty amazing. Um, as soon as we get the video edited from our uh, video tech, we're going to have it on our Facebook page. But it was that's the best evidence as far as video-wise that I've ever collected. Now I watch a lot of these shows on TV, and they they show a lot of uh, orbs on there. <clears throat> do you think that uh, all those specks are orbs, or do you think some of that's dust and bugs and stuff? Because I've, I've seen some that look like 
like you're like, wow, that that doesn't look right, and then other ones you're like, well, I think that could be a bug or something. Yeah, I I think that a lot of the stuff that you see on TV obviously is is definitely dramatized because it's got to be entertaining, you know. It's got people have got to be into the show, so it's got to be overplayed. And when it comes to orbs, I always tell people that because we have people from all over messages and say, well, what do you think of this picture or what do you think of that and. I always tell people when it comes to the orbs, you got to be really careful because even if you have a little speck, you know, on your camera lens, because it's that so it's so close to the camera lens, it looks massive. Or you know, a piece of dust that just floats over, and people are like, "Oh my gosh, that's an orb!" And uh, it's 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 really not. You know, you, when it comes to the orbs, you got to really be careful. That's why when when this ball of light appeared this orb appeared and it actually blinks like three different times you know if it was a bug or if it was dust or something like that it would stay a solid mass as it moved across the screen it wouldn't blink three or four or five different times and then move over and then as soon as she touched her neck it would go off in the opposite direction it would just pass you know in front of of them or behind them um as time went on so it was the video that we captured was pretty amazing, but I do think that a lot of times when you're dealing with orbs, most of the what you're dealing with is condensation in the air, um, dust or bugs, things of that nature. Have you ever captured anything else on tape other than like that that orb? Have you ever caught like a, a picture of an apparition walking, like a shadow going anywhere, like a shadow person or anything? We didn't capture a shadow person, but when we was in Mansfield reformatory we were me and my wife were standing in solitary confinement and i was upset because this was a public hunt this was one of our first investigations and uh it was a public hunt there was a lot of people there everybody was being loud and being disrespectful and you couldn't really do a real investigation so i was upset about that so i wasn't running a video camera i wasn't running a d or a voice recorder none of that and we were standing there, and it breaks off to the left and to the right. And I could hear people walking to the left side of me. Now, the lights are all out. It's pitch black. You can't see anything. So I can hear people, and I can't see them. So I told my wife, I said, well, shine your flashlight down the hallway there. So if there is somebody down there, I don't want to go down there and mess up their investigation. And I can't do an investigation if they're down there. So instead of shining her light, she steps over and she takes a picture. And when she takes the picture, it's, it looks like it looks exactly like somebody's like walking on the ceiling. We have the picture on our Facebook page. You can see the whole outline of the shoulders of the head, everything. And it was right after I heard the footsteps. And she took multiple pictures in a row. We we always take multiple pictures that way. You know, if something shows up in one picture and then not in another, we can try to debunk it or try to explain it any other way. But when she took those pictures, that one picture, it looks just like a person standing there, and that, that was a, it was pretty amazing. Sounds it. Now, do you find cameras? Do you find certain cameras work better in investigations than other ones, or do you think they all work about the same? <clears throat> Honestly, I think that as long as you have a high definition camera, because you know even even the older video cameras, because back when, say, Ed and Lorraine Warren were doing their main investigations back in the 70s and stuff, they caught a lot of very good evidence and stuff, even with old video cameras. I mean, if the if paranormal activity is happening and you have something that can record it, then I think that it all pretty much works on the same basis. But the equipment that you're using, the better 
the better the equipment is, the better definition you're of stuff you're going to get. Say, you know, what Ed and Lorraine Warren and EVP they may have captured back in the 70s this is going to sound a lot better if I captured on a digital voice recorder rather than what they captured on videotape. It's going to be easier to understand. You know, it's going to be easier to make out because just the quality is so much better. So when we deal with our cameras, we try to use, you know, the best equipment we can get um, as far as high-def cameras and stuff like that so that when we do capture something, it's, you know, we can explain it and say, look, it's not, you know, it's not a glitch in the lens or it's not the camera's not jumping, it's not any of that because, you know, we use this equipment multiple times and we can... uh, we can explain things better. So I think the better quality your equipment is, the better quality your evidence is going to be. Now, do you feel that there are um, different types of um, hauntings, I guess you could say? Like uh, like they talk about different types all the time, like a, a residual haunt or a, an um, intelligent haunt. And you, do you think there's differences? Yes, there, there's definitely differences, at least. Um, as far as I've learned and from my own experiences, um, I, which I've broke down into categories in my book that I'm currently writing called Stories from the Shadows, that there's two different main, there's two different types of haunting, main hauntings, and that's human spirit hauntings and demonic hauntings. And then when you come to human hauntings, that breaks down into two subcategories, which is residual and intelligent. And with a residual haunting, what I try to explain to people is like, say, a person has a certain routine they do every single day, and then they pass away, and you may see that spirit performing that same routine every day because that's, you know, they were so used to doing that. They were so, it was so ingrained in that person to do that certain routine every day. And it's not, the spirit isn't, is unaware of the surroundings around them. It can't interact with you. It can't, you know, it doesn't know that you're there. It just performs the same routine that it did when it was alive and an intelligent haunting is something that will interact with me it'll perform actions i ask it to do say it'll open closed doors or it'll light up a k2 meter when i ask it to do so or you know it'll be able to respond to questions that i ask um and then when you come to intelligent hauntings you break down into two more categories which are your good spirit hauntings and malevolent and your good spirit hauntings are you know maybe the spirit is stuck here because of just a sudden tragic death or, you know, maybe there's something that they've just not finished. They're, they're having trouble letting go. We, we as humans, you know, we have, we have a problem letting go with our loved ones that pass away and things like that. So my own theory being that maybe those same spirits that have passed on are having trouble letting go of us as well. So they're, they're not there to, to harm you or to try to scare you now. A spirit may do stuff that'll give you goosebumps. It'll turn lights on and off, or it'll sh- open and shut doors. But it's not. It doesn't do anything that is really going to scare you. It's doing that because they don't understand why they can see you and why they they know that you're there, but you can't see them and you can't interact with them. So they'll do stuff to draw attention to themselves. And normally, when you ask a good human spirit to leave, it'll it'll do so. Now, when it comes to malevolent spirits when you know they're just they're evil they they're trying they'll do stuff that'll try to harm you um they do stuff to scare you stuff like that because they're angry about something or whatever the case may be and a lot of people get those confused with demonic hauntings um 
and there's a there's a, a different criteria that you want to look for when you're doing and when you go into a case to try to try to break it down either whether it's malevolent or demonic and there, there's different criteria to look for in that but a lot of people still get those confused and it's hard to tell the difference sometimes but there's definitely a difference in in hauntings and the the way to go about investigating them have you ever been on a demonic investigation? Um, so Damsville Rectory is reported that it's demonic. There's been exorcisms on the house, blessings on the house, um, blessings on the people that have that own the, the building itself. But as far as a private residential investigation, I I've not been on a demonic case yet. No, I'm studying demonology right now is my main that's my main course of study in the paranormal because i feel that you know i want to be where people need me the most and i feel when it comes to demonic hauntings those are your worst case scenarios people are almost going insane losing their mind you know because of the things that are going on with them and i want to be that person that can help these people and the person that can help bring peace to these people so that's kind of what got me into that but i've not I've not yet been on a private residence that has had that's been a reported demonic case. Have you ever been worried about <clears throat> something following you back home again? Because I've heard people, other investigators, talk about things following people home. Now, have you ever worried about one something following you home or anything? Absolutely, <clears throat> we we take steps into protecting ourselves, but there's there's never any guarantee that anything's going to one hundred percent keep something from following you home. We actually had an incident where we went to Bobby Mackey's Music World in Wilder, Kentucky that's been on marble shows, and the demonic activity that's went on there has been documented, you know, widely documented. And we, when we came home from Bobby Mackey's, um, different stuff started happening in the house. Things would, you would lay something down that would disappear, and, you know, it would show up in a different place randomly that no one would ever touch you know no one would ever move it there um example my wife was uh making food one day and she laid down um some of the stuff she was making and she turned around and it wasn't there she couldn't find it and it ended up being in the very top of the cabinet that we never use this is the cabinet above our stove um and she you know we she would hear different things go on when i wasn't here um my son's toys in his room would turn on by themselves automatically um the our bedroom door which slam shut things like that um but we take we take caution as much as we can we do we have a blessed crucifix we keep hung in the house um we keep holy we keep holy water in the house we do prayers before and after every investigation um for protection and anytime we leave somewhere you know i demand whatever is in the in the residence that it stays there in the name of Jesus Christ, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And, you know, whether that is, whether it does that or not, it's not 100%, but I feel that it helps keep us protected. Now, you, you were talking about that to follow you home. How, how did you get rid of that? How did you end up, get that to stop? Um, I don't think we ever did get rid of it. Uh, the house that we live in, I actually grew up in, and it, it's been haunted since. You know, I since I ever since I can remember, and you know the different things that went on. 
but the activity had slowed down for a long time until we came back from Bobby Mackey's, and then it picked back up and uh, was doing the th- like the things that I had explained. And, you know, still there's still different stuff that will go on from time to time, but really we just don't ever give it any... We don't give it any real recognition because I guess that either we're used to it by now or, you know, it doesn't really freak us out. And when it comes to, comes to especially if something's following you home, I'm, it's not necessarily a, a good human spirit that's following you home. So especially with the demonic, if you're not giving it recognition and you're not giving it, then you're not giving it that power over you. You're not giving it that power it needs to drive itself. So and it. We still have different stuff go on here and there that we can't explain, but we never really just give. We never really give it any thought. I was at work one day, and my wife called me. When she called me, and told me my son's toys and stuff came on by themselves, and the bedroom door slammed shut. And my response was, "We'll run and get the recorder and get the video camera and start taping <laughs> and try to communicate yeah. with it." So, so you know, you were talking about your wife being. Felt like she said, felt like somebody breathing down her neck. Has anybody on any of your investigations ever been scratched or or, or touched and got like bruised or hurt or anything? On two different occasions, when we was at Sedamsville Rectory, one of our investigators got scratched. Um, well, I, he really wasn't even really a scratch. It was just like a it was like a long red mark down his back. There was no scratch mark. It didn't bleed or anything like that. It was just a, a long red mark it looked like somebody like pressed their finger in his back and just ran it down his back and we have the pictures on our facebook page and the one that the one picture that we took of the red mark there i actually watched appear on his back because he was standing there and he had his shirt up trying to look in the mirror um of the the first one that was on his back and he asked me to come show him where it was and when i went over there to show him i was watching actually watching the other one appear and he's like my back is burning and i was like dude there's you know, there's a red mark appearing on your back as I'm standing here watching it. Um, and then at Mansfield Reformatory, um, when I had my my prison jacket, my wife was wearing it because it was cold up there. It was snowing outside. She had it on because she was cold when we were sitting in the chapel of uh, Mansfield. And I was like, okay, let's go. You know, I was getting mad and with everybody being there. And I said, let's go. And I got up, and she said, you sit back down. I can't get up. It's like somebody's holding on to my holding on to my shoulder and she took pictures behind her and stuff and she didn't capture anything but she she couldn't get up until i actually took the jacket off of her she she was able to finally get up and leave and she was visibly stressed out at that point you know she that was the first time she'd ever experienced anything like that and so that was that was pretty crazy yeah so um how how do you feel about ouija boards a lot of people say like portholes and start uh, can bring stuff in that you don't want in that you won't be able to get rid of. But uh, <clears throat> and I've seen some shows where people investigate and use them. And how do you feel about that? I <clears throat> I personally do not use Ouija boards. I've never dealt with those. Um, I've always steered clear of that because I've always said you know Ouija boards are a way, especially if you don't know what you're doing. It's a way. It's like opening your leaving your front door open and just letting anybody walk in. And now if you if you know what you're doing and you've you've had experience and things like that and you know what you're doing then maybe it might be an okay tool to use um such as 
Lorraine Warren and Ed Warren used to um, hold seances during their investigations. That's another thing that I never mess with. But if you know what you're doing, maybe it's okay. But if you're inexperienced, and I know it's been sold as a game, you know, ever since it came out, it's been sold as a game to kids for years. And, you know, it it's you're definitely opening opening up a, a, a whole portal there that you're not necessarily under control. And there was a case that I read that this girl had been communicating with a spirit for almost a year, almost like it was her boyfriend. Um, she was a teenage girl. And then when she finally asked for it to manifest itself, stuff started happening, and it was a demonic. It ended up being a demonic case. Because when you're dealing with the demonic, they are the the kings of deceit. You know, they're the father of lies. So if they can, you know, maneuver around and make you believe that there's something that they're not, then, you know, that infestation period comes in and they can attach themselves. Then you'll get into oppression. And they'll they'll start doing, you know, what they need to do to terrify you and start breaking you down for that third step being possession. And so I believe Ouija boards can be can be a very dangerous a very dangerous game for somebody that doesn't know what they're doing. Now, you know, you talk about N. Lorraine Warren. And uh, did you ever watch the show The Haunted Collector ever? No, no, I haven't. Oh, with uh, Zappas on there. Do you ever think of uh, like objects getting haunted? Did you ever think of doing investigations on objects that could be haunted, like, uh, <clears throat> like, uh, Fred, uh, like Ed and Lorraine Warren? They would take them and put them in their own little museum. Some of these objects. Did you ever think of uh, doing anything like that? Yeah, I mean, if if the case presents itself, um, if somebody contacts us and they use things such as conjuring mirrors or, you know, Ouija boards or whatever the case is, whatever the, you know, they've used to conjure up the, these demons or whatever they believe is the object that's causing their property to be haunted, then I'll, I'll collect that and I, I'll keep it personally because if you discard something like that and somebody else gets a hold of it, then that could bring, you know, pain to more people. But if I can keep it locked up safely, then I know that, you know, it's off the street and nobody's going to get hurt with it anymore. And, you know, we can we can deal with that professionally here and we can keep people safe from it. Um, now when it comes to objects actually being haunted themselves, you know, when it, when you talk about the demonic, the demonic doesn't, it doesn't possess inanimate objects such as the Annabelle doll. A lot of people thought Annabelle was, you know, the doll was possessed and the demonic will manipulate objects to make you believe that the, you know that object is possessed, but the demonic doesn't possess inanimate objects. It pos- they possess people, and so when you when you remove those those objects from the the property, then the demonic might be attached to that object. So when you lock it up in your home, or like when Ed and Lorraine Warren would lock it up in their occult museum, they used to say that you know they had the most haunted house in the world because of all the objects that they had in their house. Um, that had been used for different conjuring of demons and things like that. So when you do stuff like that, you got to be very careful with what you're bringing in your home, and you got to know what you're dealing with, because if not, then you could be opening your own self up to a world of hurt of something that, you know, you may not be able to control. But if, if the case presented itself, 
then yeah, we we take on any case that that comes our way. And I mean, if it if it feel if I feel that it it's something that is beyond my control, then I will contact people that I believe, you know, have the have the experience and have the ability to control that situation. Because anybody that goes into a investigation and they don't know when it's time to pull the plug and they don't know when it's time to pass pass on the investigation to somebody more experienced, then they're opening themselves up to something potentially very bad happening to them and making things potentially worse for their clients as well. Um, you sent me some EVPs. Uh, do you want to talk about some of those? Yeah, the uh, two of the EVPs I sent you are from the same investigation. They are from Grandview Cemetery. We actually got those EVPs when we were working with another team, the first team that we had got with before we split off and made our own. Um, and they're of uh, Grandview Cemetery in Chillicothe. We were standing in a mausoleum, and, you know, we were... In this mausoleum, it's it's really desecrated. People have went in there, and they've trashed the place. They've spray-painted on the, the headstones. They've done all kinds of things in there. So we were in there just talking, and, you know, we, we actually have a video of the uh, encounter, too, so nobody can say that, you know, we talked into the voice recorders or we did anything like that. Um, so we were standing there, and we're just saying, you know, it's very disrespectful for people to come in here and do this to you. That's not why we're here. You know, we're just trying, we just would like to communicate with you if anyone, if we can help anyone, we do our best to help you, things like that. And when I first heard the EVP, I thought it was just a growl, and I played it for everybody, and everybody was, you know, excited and things like that. But then when we listened to it, actually with headphones on, you could hear it clearly says, go home. And uh, there was three, two or three, I can't remember exactly, two or three recorders running at that time, and we were all within arm length of each other, and my recorder's the only recorder that actually captured that EVP. And then when everybody was filing out of the uh, mausoleum, me and another investigator were standing there, and we were using a SB7 spirit box. And we were just standing there, and we were asking questions and things like that, and she said, did you hear something behind you? And I said, I didn't, you know, I didn't hear anything at the time. Then when we played back the recorder, you can hear her say, did you hear? And then right before she says anything else, it says, look behind you. And she said, did you hear something behind you? And I said, no, you know, I didn't hear nothing. Um, and I didn't know any of that actually took place until we had played the recorders back and heard them again. Um, the other EVP that I sent you, I'm trying to think. What was what was the Heard other EVP knocks. that The one was on Herd Knox. Yeah, the, the other Herd Knox. That that is the uh three loud bangs that I was talking about up in the attic of Sedamsville Rectory. Okay, um and then the other one just says Cole. That one was at Beard Cemetery. Um we it was in broad daylight. You know, I was saying, you know, my name's Cole, I'm here to talk to you guys if anyone wants to invest you know anybody wants to communicate and then just it's quiet for a second and then you just hear the whisper it whispers cold and that was the only, the only time that i've actually captured my name okay well i'm going to play the um go home one first i'll play it twice so everybody can hear it okay okay 
Now that was it was in the, was it was right in the beginning, right? Yeah, that was right as we'd stepped. We weren't we wasn't in the mausoleum for maybe three minutes when we got that. Okay, and then uh, here's the look behind you. No, I, I heard that one. It's plain. I heard the other one too, but that one I can hear pretty plain. Yeah, that one was <laughs> that one creeped me out a little bit <laughs> when we played that back. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I did because I didn't hear anything at all. I didn't even hear it over the spirit box when she said, "Did you hear something behind you?" And I said, "No," and I just I didn't know what she was talking about until we played it back and it said, "Look behind you," and that was pretty pretty crazy. I'm going to play that one one more time. Now, this other one, which is the Unheard Knocks, now that was the one you were talking about a while ago. Yeah, that, that we were sitting up in the attic of St. Amesville Rectory, and we were getting ready to go home, and we none of us heard these knocks with our own ears because we, we don't acknowledge it at all on uh, on the recorder or on the, you know, on the EVP itself. No one acknowledges that no one was moving at the time. We were literally we're getting ready to leave. We're all sitting around the table, and we're so no because when we got up there, there was a table and there's chairs set up. So I wanted everybody to sit down and not move. So if we captured something, we knew you know it was none of us walking or none of us moving at all. So I wanted to make sure that none of us were moving. So we're all sitting there, and we're just talking. No one even acknowledges that they heard anything. We get up and we get in the car and we plug the uh, voice recorder into my friend, our other investigator. We plugged it into his car speakers and we were playing it over his radio. And we all three heard the real loud knocks and we were, we was pretty excited about that. We're actually going to try to go back to Sedamsville later this year. Okay, so here's this one then. Here's the unheard knock. Hey man, it's Kenny Rock. I'm walking back in, right? Play it one more time. Hey man, it's Kenny Rock. I'm walking back in, right? Okay, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Did I die again? The first uh, slap there that you heard—that's me shutting the camera because my camera died as soon as we got up there. And it was full battery. We just got done charging. We walked up there, and that's why he said, "Did, did that die again?" The first slap is me shutting the LCD screen on the camera. And then that, then you hear the three bangs. Okay, well, here's the one you said they call your name, Cole. Communication. 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 I can hear that one, too, real well. Yeah, that um, one came out really clear, too, and I was... <laughs> I was pretty excited about that because um, we actually got the most vocal EVPs at Beard Cemetery in broad daylight. We didn't get any EVPs vocally um, during mid when we went up there at midnight. But during the daylight, when we first, as soon as we went into the cemetery, the other investigator was naming off everybody that was there, and then at the very end, you heard Adam, and it was so plain that it was like somebody actually whispered into the into the microphone and said Adam. So do you find it better to um, 
investigate. That's what was my next question during the day, in the evening or at night or anything like that. What would what, be the best time for you guys to go out to do your investigation? Um, it just depends on the type of investigation you're doing. Um, if you're doing human spirit hauntings, if a place is haunted, then it's always haunted. It doesn't matter during the day, during the night. It's haunted regardless. Now, when you're dealing with demonic hauntings, um, nighttime is the best time to do the investigation because the demonic cannot function in in the daylight. So most of the stuff, 90% of your activity will happen after dark until daylight. And when daylight hits, it's over with. But when it comes to human hauntings, it doesn't matter whether daylight, dark, it doesn't matter. Now, most of your... TV shows, ghost adventures, and stuff like that. They'll do stuff at nighttime because, you know, it's more dramatic and it's better for pictures, stuff like that. But if if the place is legit, legitimately haunted by human spirits, then it doesn't matter what time of the day that you're investigating. It doesn't matter, you know, if it's daylight or dark. If it's haunted, in the day, if it's haunted at night, it'll be haunted in the day. Okay, um, I'm going to take a caller. You up to take any questions from people? Absolutely. Okay. Hello, caller. You're online. Hey, you got a great show tonight, Andy. Oh, thank you. I'm really enjoying it. I'm wishing you luck on your. I'm wishing you luck on your new network. I love the paranormal, and I do have a question. If you mind me asking. No, go ahead. So, uh, have you ever seen any demonic uh, statues on your hunts? Um, I've never, I've never been to, other than Sedansville, I've never been to an actual demonic investigation. Um, now, I've seen and studied different case files and stuff like that, but to personally witness them, no. Okay, yeah. I used to watch a TV show. My brother that shows things like that. I forgot the name of it, but they uh, show demonic ghosts and things like that. Yeah, it's there's def it's definitely a very and it's very a very in depth um, study, and you know it takes you and that's why I never refer to myself as a demonologist because you know it takes years to of studying and mentoring from a already mentored demonologist and experienced demonologist to become one and so I, I do as much as I can. I read everything that I can get my hands on. Um anything that Bishop James Long will refer to me, I, I read it and do as much studying as I can. I completed a demonology course through him as well and uh I study as much case files and things like that that I can get my hands on. Sounds great. This is a great show, Andy. So much good luck here on uh, Dakota Network. I'm going to be a long, a long time listener. Thank you. Uh, by the way, everybody, that's my uh, buddy uh, Aqua Alex from Aquatic Wetline. Uh, thanks for calling in, Alex. You're welcome. Enjoy the rest of your show. Have a great show. I'm going to listen to it. Thank you. Um, we got another caller. Hold on. Uh, slash fifty one fifty. You're on the line. Yeah, how are you, how are you doing, Andrew? All right, pretty good. You have a question? Yeah, my first my question is, what would you recommend for beginners or some tips for beginners who want to get into investigating? Um, for 
beginners, I, I suggest that, you know, you go out into say, maybe your local cemetery that is reported to be haunted. And well, what I did when I first started investigating is I went to Walmart, I bought a voice recorder, I bought a video camera. And then I just went around to different cemeteries trying to get EVPs. I read a bunch of books on how to study, you know, how to investigate cemeteries, how to investigate, you know, local legends, stuff like that. And if you can find a team that is accepting members or is willing to teach people, that's always a good thing because even when you're going into cemeteries, you could be getting into stuff that you don't necessarily know what you're you're messing with. And so if you can, the best thing is always if you can find a team that is willing to train people or is willing to take new members in, that's always the best thing to do. But reading and doing your research is always number one. Um reading as much as you can before you get into doing it. And as long as you take the proper precautions, I, I think that you'll 90% of the time you'll be okay in doing these investigations. But a lot of people think that you need expensive equipment and stuff like that. But just like I said, when we first started, we started with a $60 voice recorder and a, a video camcorder, and we started, and we just built up from there. So if you're wanting to start and you're wanting to get into this, try to research and find your local teams. Ask them if they're taking new members or if they're willing to teach people. And if they're not willing to do that, then just there's there's multiple books, multitudes of literature out there that you can get on how to investigate and the the best way to approach these different places when you're investigating. And I think that's that's definitely the best way to go about it. Awesome. Thanks for the great answer and information. Well, Andy, congratulations on this great show, and I'll definitely be listening more. Uh, thank you. Okay, you guys have a good night. Uh, you too. Thanks. So uh, do you feel uh, all cemeteries have a certain amount of uh, activity in them or just certain ones or? Um, I, I I tend to lean more toward cemeteries that are run down. Um, cemeteries that aren't really well taken care of, care of tend to have more activity because the spirits there really can't rest in peace. Now these nicer cemeteries, and I the actual the very first EVP I got um, was from an actual really nice cemetery, um, but. You know, it's it's def, you definitely have much more of a chance of getting stuff in run-down cemeteries where there's broken headstones and there, you know, the grass is all grown over and it just looks really rough because the the spirits can't rest in peace because of just their stuff's being destroyed. You know, it's being desecrated. Um, people are coming in spray painting stuff or you know, just defiling their graves and stuff like that, and that tends to bring out a lot more activity. I have another caller here. It's, uh, this is my son's phone number, though, so we'll see what he wants. He's going to probably ask you a question, so hang on a second. David, do you have a question? Yeah, I was wondering if you have ever come to the conclusion that people are actually buying into it more than it is actually happening, like a, a spirit in their house, if it's just a natural occurrence. We we definitely have had that happen um, a couple different times, actually. Um, we went to a private residence up in Chillicothe, Ohio, that um, this 
particular person was convinced that, you know, he had demons in his house and all this stuff was going on. And it come to find out, you know, because one of our main questions is, you know, is anyone in the house on any type of medication, things like that? And the type of medication that he was taking is, it was, the side effects of that medication were exactly what he was explaining to us, what was going on, like the tingling sensations he was feeling and, you know, stuff like that. And the, as far as with the lights and things like that, you can go into, he had faulty electrical wiring. You know, he lived in an older part of the older part of the town and stuff like that. So we've definitely dealt with people that buy into a lot. They watch TV and they, they see a lot of this stuff on television and, they buy into it more than it actually happens. And I always say that, you know, at least at least 60% of everything that we deal with, 60 to, I'm going to say 75% of everything we deal with, is that can be naturally explained. Okay. Thank you. Not a problem. David. Yeah. David. Yeah. You want to tell them about your experience? <laughs> My, I guess I will. Well, uh, we were living in Philadelphia at the time, and I was, uh, that was before I started school, wasn't it? You were about five. Yeah, so I remember I was laying in bed, and I I slept with my parents at the time, and uh, I remember I woke up for some unapparent reason, I'm not sure why, but I remember looking to the, where the door was in the bedroom, which was to my uh, left-hand side, and my mother was on that side, and I looked over and I seen somebody walk into the room, and I, I could vividly remember what they looked like. They were wearing a, a long brown or a, a gray sweater. They had brown hair, brown eyes, and they walked around the bed. They made eye contact with me, and then they just walked into the closet. And I mean, I was, I, I was, I was scared. I'm not going to lie, but uh, that was my first experience, and I remember it extremely. Wow. Well, actually, one of my first experiences was as a child. My, I've always been real big into history as well as the paranormal. And my mother is an occupational therapist, and she used to work at a bunch of nursing homes in the in the area. And I would go to work with her on days that I on days that I could, and I would hang out with the you know the older people in the home, and they would tell me stories of you know stuff when they were kids, stuff like that. And we went into this building. And as soon as we went in there, I told my mom that, you know, this place is haunted. I want to leave. I didn't know why I knew the place was haunted. I just, it's haunted. I want to go home. And, you know, she's like, it's not haunted. It's just an old building. Come on. So we go down into the basement where her office is. And as the, the farther we get down in the basement, the more scared I'm becoming. I have no idea why I'm scared. I'm just, I know this place is haunted. I want to leave. I keep telling her to, you know, I want to go. And she keeps she said, you know, I got work to do. You're just making it take longer if you keep bugging me. Go play. And then finally she said, well, come on, I'll introduce you to some people upstairs, and you can play around upstairs until I get done, then we'll go home. So we go upstairs, and, you know, she goes into this room, and she's trying to introduce me to some of the people, and I wouldn't go in the room. And she asked me why, and I just told her I wasn't feeling good because I knew that if, you know, I said, well, the place is haunted, I, you know, I was going to get a whipping because I was being disrespectful. So she finally, she realizes, you know, that's not me. I always play with, you know, the people that are there. They always listen to the stories. So when we leave, I, she asked me, you know, what's wrong? And I tried to tell her the place was haunted. She still didn't want to believe me. 
And then she came home a couple of days later, and she said that she had found out that the place used to be an orphanage. And uh, they used to punish the kids down in the basement in very horrific ways. And the residents were telling her that they couldn't sleep at night because the children would come sit on the edge of their beds and talk to them, or the children would play in the hallway and make noise all night. And she wanted to know how I knew it was haunted, and I, I said I didn't know. I just knew when I got there that it was haunted. <laughs> Do you feel that uh, children have a better a better sense of paranormal activity than um, than adults do because they're more open-minded and they're not so conceited? Absolutely. All children are clairvoyant up to the age of 12. Um, and for the people that don't know what clairvoyant is, is the ability to see things that other people can't see or the ability to feel things that are around them that other people can't, um, such as, again, Lorraine Warren being the most famous clairvoyant in the paranormal community. Um, but as we get older and we get more closed-minded and we get more of that, you know, that mindset of everything needs to be explained scientifically rather than the way it is, um, we tend to lose that, but other people can hold on to that. But all children are clairvoyant up to the age of 12, so when it's why you have so many cases of people people's children seeing stuff and communicating with stuff long before the parents ever have any idea that anything's going on. That makes pretty good sense. Is that the only question you had, David? Yeah, that's that about covered it all. All right, I'll put you back on hold so you can listen to the rest of the show. All right. You know, uh, my son, you were talking about kids being more clairvoyant. He had a friend that lived right down the street. Now, this whole block that he was talking about, when he was talking about his experience, uh, he had a lot of problems on the whole block. All the neighbors had problems. The lady down the street was sitting outside with her um, with her son, and my wife was sitting there, and her son had to run in to go to the bathroom, and he'd come out holding his face crying. And his mom goes, what's wrong? And he goes, well, you know the old lady I see in the bathroom up there all the time? She slapped me. And there was no there was no old lady living in the house. It was just her, her husband, and her kid. <laughs> so, <clears throat> you know, uh, I don't know what kind of a uh, haunting that would have been. But uh, he came out with a whole handprint right on his face. Oh, wow. That's, <laughs> that's, uh, that's definitely pretty crazy. <laughs> so, uh... Do you feel that, um, now you were talking about people uh, watching TV and then getting in, seeing things that, that really aren't there or anything. Um, do you feel that th- that makes it more harder to do these investigations because people end up watching these shows and because it's becoming more and more common for these shows to be out, uh, that people watch them and tend to think they have problems and they really don't? It definitely makes the it definitely makes you know the reportings of hauntings much more you know much more than they used to be. There's definitely a lot more reported hauntings now than people reported a long time ago. Because say when I was a kid and stuff was happening in this house, none of us ever talked about it because we didn't want anybody thinking we're crazy. You know now it's so it's so socially acceptable for places to be haunted. And it's so mainstream now that. Everyone thinks that, you know, they hear a creak in their wall and they think that, you know, their house is haunted. 
So it definitely brings much more reported hauntings about um, the just people that just don't understand, you know, what's actually taking place. So when you go in to investigate a place, that's why I think it's a lot better for you to just get as you know the least amount of information from the owner as possible. Do your investigation, you know, come back, ask them exactly what they're experiencing, and then compare your notes to what they've told you while everybody's sitting right there. So there's no way that you can, you know, doctor the evidence or anyone, you know, it keeps everybody honest. And I think I think that's definitely the best way to go about it because if you go into a place and somebody says, well, we see shadows in this hallway at this time every night, then when you go there, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for shadows or we hear this sound. So when you go there, you're listening for that particular sound and, you know, people tend to make themselves believe something, even if it's not really happening. At, uh, at what point should somebody contact somebody for help to come in and do an investigation and see what they can do to help them with their situation? If somebody is uncomfortable, if somebody, especially if somebody feels threatened in a situation, they definitely need to contact somebody. Um, if you're doing an investigation, even if you are a seasoned paranormal investigator, but you have no experience with the demonic, if you encounter something that you believe to be demonic, or you're living in a residence that you believe that something that is there is demonic, you need to contact somebody immediately because when you're dealing with something that extreme, you know, the longer it takes to get somebody to help you, lives are actually in jeopardy at that point. Um but if it's something less evil, if it's, you know, even just a human spirit haunting, but if you feel uncomfortable or you um, you feel threatened in any way, you should definitely contact somebody. And if even if it's not paranormal, you know, we'll go in, and if somebody wants me to have a priest come out and bless their house, even if I'm not getting anything, you know, in the actual, I'm not recording any uh, actual paranormal encounters, if somebody wants me to have a house blessing done, I'll have the house blessing done because it'll give them a peace of mind and it'll bring, you know, them at ease and they can live peacefully within their own home. Do you think sometimes doing an investigational, I mean, do you think that could make the situation worse? Because I I would think that some people might think, if I call somebody in, it'll make it worse. And it, I don't want it to get worse. It could potentially make it worse. And I explain that to every time that a client contacts us, I explain to them, look, you know, us coming there could make it worse. But by us not coming there, it's going to get worse, and you're not going to have any conclusion to it. Now, if I come there and we can, you know, record the evidence and we can get, you know, what we need to, and then try to figure out how we're going to fix this issue, then it may get worse for you know a temporary period of time, but eventually we're going to come to a conclusion. We're going to see it through to the end, and that's where a lot of people have issues because a team might come in and the team might just be interested in coming and collecting evidence and then leaving and never contact the people again. And you know it's it's worse for the people that are living there because they've came in and they've stirred stuff up and there's no conclusion there. So when we go into an investigation, I tell the client, look, this could make things worse, but we are going to do everything we can to fix this problem. I'm here. We're here till the end. Our client's happiness 
and their ability to live peacefully in their own home is our number one priority. I don't care if we have to do 30 investigations or 30 house blessings or whatever we have to do to bring that to a head. That's what we're going to do. So we try to stay one-on-one with the clients. We try to stay in constant contact with them. Um, And I think that 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 brings a lot of comfort to people as well to know that they're not alone and know that somebody is doing their best to help them. Um, So, yeah, it it could make things worse, and especially if you're dealing with people that are inexperienced because they'll watch TV shows or they'll read a book and they think that they know what they're doing and they go in and they'll um, they'll use uh, taunting, you know, they'll, they'll provoke. And that could definitely make things a lot worse for the people living there, and it can make things worse for the investigator himself if you don't know what you're doing. So you have to really be careful with that, and that's why I'm I'm writing this book, and that's why I'm trying to promote these local teams that are actually good teams. They're good individuals because there's so many people out there that are fake, and they bring a bad name to the paranormal community. You know, I want to bring, you know, uh, the good teams and the legitimate people in this in this community, you know, and, and promote them because there's a lot of good people. There's a lot of very good-hearted people that want to help people, you know, that do this. And there's also a lot of bad people that do it as well that are just there for the thrill. So I think if we, if all the good teams and all the good individuals in this community come together and hold each other up, then we can we can stay in a good light and keep those people that are fake and just doing this, you know, as a hobby and to just do something on the weekends. We can kind of push them out and we can we can stay in the business to help people. That's what we all started this for. So um, another question I have for you is how open-minded are the priests to come out and bless a home because you guys say that there's activity going on? Um, they like... Uh, some priests are not very open-minded at all. <laughs> um, but I, I've dealt with a, a lot of very good priests as well. Um, sometimes it takes some convincing. If I have, Sometimes I may have to go into a residence and collect evidence and then bring that evidence to the priest and say, look, this is what we've got, and then they, they will go through the evidence themselves. Other times I'll call and say, look, this family's going through a hard time. Um you know, this is who I am, this is what I do, and these people would like to have a house blessing done. And sometimes the priest will automatically go straight out and make a um, make an appointment with them and go straight out and bless their house. So a lot of them are really good, and other times when I talk to people, they think that I'm crazy. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can understand you getting that. Um, <clears throat> my son, he's got one more question. So I'm going to put them on the line for you. Okay. Uh, David, are you there? Yep. Okay, go ahead and ask your question. No, I, w- I was wondering, should you worry more about spirits that can move objects and uh, control objects? Should you worry more about them ones or the ones that can't move objects and the ones that just can uh, cause phenomena to happen? When you're dealing with things that can move objects that could potentially be very bad and it could be a human spirit as well. When you go into moving objects, you're talking about things like if they're moving stuff of substantial weight, say televisions or, you know, things things that are very heavy, 
you're looking at things that it could very possibly be demonic because they have that type of power. They have that. They can manifest that type of energy to move objects like that. There's been reports of people hearing their furniture being thrown around and objects, you know, couches, beds with a whole family sitting on them levitating off the floor. Those are things you have to be extremely worried about. Um, other spirits that, you know, they they may be able to shut doors and they may be able to manipulate electronical devices and stuff. Now, they could scare you and they they can do things like that and they still could make you sick. They can, you know, they can manipulate your dreams, things like that. But, you know, they, they can't really physically, they're not going to really physically hurt you. But when it comes to dealing with the demonic and things that can, when they can levitate things of substantial weight, you have a you have a bad problem there that definitely needs to be taken care of as soon as possible. Okay, and uh, what would you say if something could move objects and someone tried to do their own home remedy? Would you recommend that or not at all? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So, when you when so you definitely. If something is moving, say like a, if it's moving something of substantial weight, I'm going to say 80% of the time you're dealing with something that could very possibly be demonic. And if you do your own home remedy when you're dealing with the demonic, you're you're not going to do anything but, you know, make it mad. It's You're not going to do nothing that's going to stop it. You need somebody that knows exactly what they're doing, somebody that's been trained to handle that situation to come in there and deal with that. Other than that, you're not going to do anything other than uh, provoke and make things worse for yourself. Okay, thank you. Absolutely. Put you back on hold, David. Have you ever came across people that tried to do things on their own and made it worse? Um, we have actually dealt with people that tried to make things better by using a Ouija board, by communicating, trying to make it go away using a Ouija board, and it made things substantially worse for them. Um, and my remedy was having, the, you know, the clergy come in and do things, you know, do the house blessing and stuff, and that's how we resolved the situation, but... People that use these different these different remedies, such as you know, a lot of people will burn sage and do smudging to cleanse the property. And some, you know, sometimes that works. It just depends on what type of haunting you're dealing with. If you're dealing with a good spirit haunting, it's basically the same thing as asking it to leave. It it's very much likely going to leave. But other times, it's not going to do anything other than possibly make it worse or have no effect at all. Have you ever investigated somewhere that uh, you just couldn't help the people? Has there ever been one that where it's just like, you know, I have, I'm your loss for words and not help them? Um, actually, this last investigation we did, I thought that that was, I thought, I thought that that's what we was going to come to, and I, I felt very bad because, you know, I've never been in that situation before to where I, I had to stand and say I don't know what else to do to help you but thankfully we done three different blessings on the property and they contacted us actually two days ago and said that you know they 
the feeling of being scared was gone. They could actually, because these people were no longer even living in their house at nighttime anymore. They couldn't stay there at night because they were so terrified to be there. And, you know, they weren't scared anymore. And, they, you know, they were just happy that they could be in their house and not have to be scared anymore. So I was I was very thankful for that. But I, up to that point, I didn't think that we were going to be able to do anything. But I had promised them when we went in there whether it was their choice if they were going to sell their house. It didn't matter. Until something happened that they were happy, I, w- I wasn't going to leave. So um, if somebody lives somewhere and they contact you, and you, you could you find them help, like find them other investigators if it was out somewhere where you couldn't be? If if they're somewhere out of my reach, I we work with a lot of teams throughout the nation, throughout the world, and that's what this book that I'm writing is helping promote these different teams throughout the world. So if if they're somewhere that we can't get to, I'll definitely find somebody in their area that works you know, that does a good job, and I'll read reviews, and I'll talk to that investigation team, you know, personally, and I'll refer the team, I'll refer the team to them. So, yeah, no matter where anybody is, I'll definitely find somebody. If I can't get to you personally, I will find somebody that I've thoroughly investigated, I've thoroughly done my research on, and I'll refer the case to them and have them do the investigation. And then I'll have them stay in contact with me and keep me updated on what's going on. Do you find any sections of the country that seem to be more uh, have more problems than other parts? Um, the East Coast definitely has a lot of a lot of places that are reported to be haunted because obviously you have more history there. Um, as far as America goes, Europe, a lot of places, one of the, you know the oldest places in in the world because they have so much history, so much stuff has went on in these places um the west out in the west arizona things like that back where you had all these these old mining towns and everything you know a lot of stuff happened out there there wasn't very much law you know there was a lot of murders there was a lot of things that went on so any place that has had a lot of history a lot of bad history in it tends to have definitely tends to have more active places. A lot of older homes that have the original foundation, the original, you know, wood floors or whatever the case may be, they they tend to be much more active than other areas because there's so much history there. Now, I, I heard, uh, I was watching one of these shows, uh, and they had a big paranormal team on there, and they said moving water sometimes uh, creates situations where uh it like <clears throat> can promote the paranormal act problems that people have did you ever hear of anything like that oh yeah there, there's definitely been a debate for many years that you know there's been people say that spirits can't cross water there's been a there's been statements saying that it's like a like a paranormal generator running water being a paranormal generator that helps fuel the paranormal um, I, I've never dealt with anything, you know, real close to running water or anything to be able to test the theory, um, as far as that goes, but I've definitely heard of people talking about, you know, on different shows and in different books that I've read about the water being a, a generator for the paranormal. 
now, like when you go back to the Native Americans, they they believe that water being sacred, that um, it, it was a direct tie to the spirit realm. Okay. Now, uh, electromagnetic fields, like if people have these, uh, <clears throat> you find out that the wiring is kind of funny in the house. Now, does that, I never really checked into it, but does that um, make you more sensitive or does it just to what's going on around you or does it just give you a funny feeling and you think there's something going on? When you're dealing with the electromagnetic field? Um, yeah. When, it, when, it, when you deal with EMF, um, just like with my mail meter, if you're somewhere that there's a real high concentration of EMF, it will make it can mess with your mess with you a little mess with your body a little bit. Um, you know, it'll give you, you sometimes you may even hallucinate, but it'll give you tingling sensations. You'll it'll mess with your body because there's such a high concentration of electricity that you may experience experience things that you're you're experiencing but there's nothing really paranormal going on there it's explained because of there's being such a high electrical electrical field there um and it can mess up investigations that's why when we use mail meters we use emf detectors and stuff during an investigation before we actually do the investigation i will walk through the entire building with my emf detector and videotape where the spikes are where you know, where everything is, so that way when we do the investigation and we come across the spike, we can go back and say, okay, well, this is, you know, this is where the spike was when we did the walkthrough first. Um, but, yeah, it definitely can make people experience things that aren't necessarily there because it, it'll mess with it'll mess with your senses. Do you feel people's pets can sense stuff better than, like, we can? I do, and I actually think there's a television show. I've never actually watched it, but I've seen it on TV before. Um, I think there's a television show about animals being able to sense the paranormal better than we can. Um, dogs barking at things that nobody sees, such as in the corner of a house, or um, cats hissing at stuff that ain't there. Um, we actually did an investigate a private residence that all the lights were out. We were standing in this room. And there was a cat in the room that nobody was aware of at the time. And it, like, screeched. It hissed really loud. <laughs> and it scared everybody because <laughs> nobody knew it was there. And right after that happened, we caught an EVP. And so, did you know, did we scare the cat or did the cat, you know, sense something before we knew it was there? Yeah. Um, because I know that the, uh, the TAPS team... I watched one of their episodes, and <clears throat> they started taking a dog on a few of their episodes because it's, they said it's more sensitive to uh, things that are going on around them that they can't even pick up on some of their equipment, but the dog can tell. <clears throat> I actually think I've seen uh, Ghost Hunters uh, International. I think I've seen them do that. They took dogs on a, an investigation of an old castle overseas somewhere. Um to, to use during their investigation, and I think that's the only time I'd ever seen that. But I've definitely, I've definitely heard of people taking animals on on investigations to use them as a tool because they could sense things, you know, before we knew they were there. 
but I've never I've never tried it personally or anything like that. So what would your dream investigation be? What's the one place that you would just love to go and investigate? My dream investigation, I'm going to say, is between two different places. Is uh, Bobby Mackey's Music World and uh, Vlad Depeche's castle, Dracula's castle in Transylvania. Now, Bobby Mackey's, because it's so... I've, I've Bobby Mackey's I've known about since I was a kid. I used to watch A Haunting all the time with my mom. And I used that's where I first learned about Bobby Mackey's and you know, we went there, we did we've not went and done a private investigation yet. We went and did the ghost tour and we've done all that. But they want a lot of money to do, you know, a, a short investigation. Um so we've never went and done the private investigation, but I would love to go there and just do a couple nights investigating there because of all the history that that is there. Um the, the, just Bobby Mackey's the big legend, you know, and then Vlad Depeche being, you know, Dracula or Dracula and Transylvania and all the stuff that, all the history that's over there and all the the paranormal stuff that's reported in Transylvania itself, not just the castle, but there's a forest over there that's supposed to be one of the most haunted forests, most paranormal forests in the world. And I would just, I'd love to be able to go there and see that history and do that investigation. Because, like I said, I'm a big history buff. So, when I go to these different places, I love to go to places with a lot of history. So, I get, you know, both best world, you know, I get to see the history and I get to do the paranormal. So, it's pretty, it's yeah. pretty amazing. Uh, well, before the show, you were talking about that you want to do um, travel around and do a little bit in the, you know, like on the East Coast and stuff. If you ever get to Philadelphia and you can do one at the Eastern State Penitentiary, I heard that one. You know, that's good. I heard that's supposed to be a good place to do one. I actually uh, talked to a person over in that area and was telling him, you know, because I always wanted to go to Eastern State uh, Penitentiary, not only because of all the paranormal stuff that was reported and going there, but because, you know, me being a correctional officer and loving history, just to go to an old prison and see the history of that compared to the prison that I work at. And they told me that um, it was a waste of time to go there. Actually, they said that they've shut that they shut down so much of the prison, and if you're not a television show, they won't let you in so much of it, and all that. Now I don't know if that's true or not. That's just what I was told personally. They said it's not worth the money they want you to pay to go in and do the private investigation. But if I was in that area, I would definitely investigate it because I just just so I could say that I was there and I actually got to see the history and I actually got to do the investigation, I would do it. Yeah, I, I took my son there for Halloween one year. They had a Halloween thing going. And uh, <clears throat> this guy walked up to him. It was dressed in a Halloween costume and told him, oh, there's nothing to be scared of in there, son. Don't worry about it. He goes, you only have to wear it when you go home and I'm under your bed. <laughs> my son got all scared. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> But uh, so, uh, how can people get a hold of you or, or in touch with you if they have to? Um, we have a Facebook page, www.facebook.com/paranormalgroup02. Um, they can get a hold of me anytime through our Facebook page. Um, we're listed. I can't remember exactly the website, but if you Google 
um, paranormal groups in Ohio, the very first selection that comes up, you'll click it and it'll bring up a whole list of different groups in Ohio. We're on that page. We're on um, the National Paranormal Society. We're on their page. We're listed um, on Ghost Stop as uh, Ghost Stop Associates on their page. We're listed on multiple different pages. Um, and you can get our contact information, everything through there. You can contact me through email, which is uh, D I S T E L, or I'm sorry, D I S T E C 11 at gmail.com. Um, but the Facebook is definitely the fastest way to get hold of us because it'll ring straight through my wife's phone or it'll go straight through my phone if I'm not at work, and we'll contact you immediately as fast as we possibly can. Well, thank you for coming on the show. And uh, when you get your book done, let me know, and I'll have you back on to promote your book. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's been an honor. It's been an honor to have you on. And uh, I found something out today, and I was told that today is Paranormal Day. And I did not know that when I booked the show. So I think that's pretty interesting, too. Absolutely. Happy Paranormal Day, everybody. So, uh uh, Cole, thank you for being on the show, and uh, I look forward to having you on again. All righty, sir. Thank you very much, and uh, I hope everybody has a wonderful night. And uh, like I say, if and if anybody is wanting to get their team support or get their team promoted in a book, contact me through Facebook. You can send me, um, even if your son wants to put his story in a book that's been published, send me as much detail as you can about the story. I'll put it in the book. Um, the only thing that I edit is some of the language because of the different age brackets that read it. I'll send the story back to you. You approve it. I'll put it in the book, and then I will give you credit in the book. I'll promote your team, your contact information, and your service area. So if someone in your area reads the book and they need help, they know how to contact you. So if anybody is wanting to promote their teams, send me your story, and we'll get it worked out. Oh, well, that's great to know. Uh, how, when do you expect the book to come out? I'm hoping this fall. Um, now, with everybody, like I say, with people, it's all depending on how many things people send me because I want it to be a collection of everybody's work. I don't want it to just be my own personal experiences. I want it to be everybody and help promote as many teams as I possibly can. But I'm hoping by this fall that we'll have it actually printed. That'll be great because I'll have to get a copy and read it because it sounds interesting. Um, well, thank you for coming on the show, and I'm definitely looking forward to having you on again. And, uh, you know, if you come across some real interesting uh, investigations and you want to talk about them, let me know. I'll have you on right up sooner than that even. So uh, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. You guys have a great night. And uh, everybody for listening in, thank you for listening in. And, uh, we're going to try to make this an every week show. It'll be great to have one on once a week. But as of right now, we're going to try to do bi-weekly until I get more and more people coming on. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. And again, Cole, thank you. Thank you. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.